Can everyone hear me okay? We're learning new technology even as we learn a new space, and so I can't hear myself too well, but I understand you all can hear me just fine. So that is what is important. Today we are concluding a sermon series that we have been doing throughout the, se- the season rather, of Lent, a sermon series that we have been calling Ancestry DNA. Each week throughout Lent, we have been stopping to visit with a different character from our biblical family tree. We began, of course, with Adam and Eve and then stopped with Abraham and Sarah and then walked through the desert a bit with Moses and settled in with David and then stopped, too, with two courageous women, Ruth and Naomi. And then just last week, we descended the Mount of Olives with the disciples and with a donkey. This week, we turn to the final name, the most important name in our family tree, that of Jesus Christ. And it is the story of that first Easter Sunday that opens to us the fullness of what it means to call this Messiah family. So let us listen now for a word from God as we hear these verses from the 16th chapter of Mark, beginning with the first verse. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where you laid him, but go, go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone. Because they were afraid. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Good and gracious God, empty our hearts this day of any heaviness that we are carrying. Free us from the burden of stress, of worry. Free us, O God, to hear a new word, 
a word that might fill us with a life that, that we have only begun to glimpse. Fill us, O God, with your spirit, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here in your sight this day would be pleasing and glorifying to you. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It's amazing, isn't it, that the entire gospel story, according to the gospel of Mark, the entire Easter story, according to the gospel of Mark, it hinges on this one question. Who will roll away the stone? Who will roll away the stone? Those disciples wonder early that first Easter morning as they make their way to the tomb. We can almost hear the defeat in their voices. Because after all, it has only been three days, three days, since their lives were completely and utterly upended. Three days since the one who they were convinced was the Messiah turned out instead to be just another convicted criminal of the state, executed on the cross. It's hard to overstate how these disciples on that first morning, that first Easter, they are walking to the tomb with literally no expectation of resurrection. The only thing that they expect to find at their destination is the lifeless body of the one who they once called friend. Right? Not only are they going not without expectation, but in fact the only thing on their mind is a logistical question. How will we get in to anoint the body? Who will roll away the stone? No expectation and no plan. And yet, they go. They go simply and solely on the faith and the trust that somehow God will make a way. You know, it seems to me that Mark's telling of the Easter story, of all four of the gospel Easter stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it seems to me that, that Mark's telling is really the telling for us in these times. Because we can relate to that, that unsettledness, can't we? That upendedness. We know what it's like to live in a time where everything we plan comes with an asterisk subject to change, right? At some moment or some moments in these past months, we have all lived those same adjectives that the women in this story are living. Alarmed, bewildered, afraid 
trembling. Even the ending to this story seems so perfect for these times because it's so uncertain and unsatisfying. They flee from the tomb and don't say anything to anyone. Of all the Gospels, Mark's Gospel apparently had the most unsatisfying ending because it's the only one where an editor later on circles back and adds a second ending to it. If you open your pew Bible here or your Bible at home, you'll find that there are in fact two endings to Mark's gospel. Someone read this ending that we've just read and they thought, no, surely not. We know what it feels like to live in a time when we wonder how will all of this end. But most of all, the thing for me in Mark's Easter story The thing that feels so perfect for people like us is that question. Who will roll away the stone? Haven't we all asked that question in some way or another this past year? Will my business make it? Or if I lose my business, can I get a new job? Will my family, will my children, will my parents be okay? What will our church be? What what can church be when you can't be church in the ways that, that you're used to? Will our church make it? I still remember so clearly a conversation I had last April. Last April when we were all still sort of in that mindset, well, maybe just a few more weeks, another month at most, right? I still remember this conversation I had with a clergy colleague here on the island. He was the first one to just put it to me plainly. He said, you know, Alan... It could very well be Easter 2021 before things are even beginning to get back to normal. I remember I had been hanging on to that little light of hope. Oh, yeah, we'll we'll be back at it just a few more weeks. And when he said that, it felt almost like that stone closing tight and that last little bit of light being squeezed out. Who will roll away the stone. We know that question, don't we? One of the great biblical scholars of our time is a man named Walter Brueggemann. And interestingly, Brueggemann is as well known for his prayers as he is for his writing and his scholarship. He's so well known for his prayers that when he was still teaching, it was not unusual for students who were not even enrolled in his class to show up early just to hear him pray. And there's this one prayer that I've always remembered of Walter Brueggemann's. It's a prayer that someone wrote down and later published in a collection of Brueggemann's prayers. And the reason I've always remembered it, because it was the first time I've ever heard Easter used as a verb. Walter Brueggemann prayed that day in class. He said, Lord, Easter us. Lord, Easter us. I've always loved that because it reminds me, it reminds us that God alone is the one capable of doing something as unexpected as bringing life from death. 
God alone is the one who is capable of Eastering, right? Jesus did not raise from the dead in this story. God raised Jesus from the dead. You see, God alone, according to Mark's telling of the Easter story, God alone is the one who is capable of pushing back the stone. And if God can push back this stone, don't you think God can push back other stones as well? I was reminded recently of the events that took place on May 20th, 1961. It was on that day that a young man named John Lewis and a group of Freedom Riders rolled into Montgomery, Alabama. And they were met there by an angry mob who beat them. Some people were beaten so bad that they were immediately taken to the hospital, while others fled for cover, fled for refuge in the sanctuary of First Baptist Church there in Montgomery. They were terrified. The whole night long, that mob surrounded the church, broke windows, threw firebombs, cut phone lines. Now, sadly, as we are all too well aware after this year, the sin of racism and racial violence is not a thing of our past. Not in our nation, not in our state, as recent weeks have revealed yet again, not even in our own community, right here in Glen County. And it was in that context that I found myself last August in a conference room over at the Chamber of Commerce. Ben Hartman sitting over here invited me and put together a group of civic and religious leaders to come and visit with the Attorney General of the state of Georgia, the Honorable Chris Carr. Chris had come down to report on the progress of the case that is being put together against those who perpetrated the violent death of Ahmaud Arbery. And it was in the course of that meeting where Chris Carr told us a story from the time when he served as the chief of staff for the now-retired United States Senator from Georgia, Johnny Isaacson. I don't know if you all know this, but Johnny Isaacson and that young man who, of course, grew up to become the representative John Lewis from Atlanta, they were close friends throughout their time serving together in Congress. And John began organizing many years ago an annual pilgrimage that they called the Congressional Civil Rights Pilgrimage through the Faith and Politics Institute there in D.C. that still to this day takes bipartisan groups of members of Congress to go and relearn and revisit the places of the civil rights movement there in Alabama. They start in Birmingham and go to Selma, and they end in Montgomery. And Chris shared how on one of those trips when he was on that pilgrimage with his boss at the time, Senator Isaacson, they were there in a church, a sanctuary in Montgomery, and they were supposed to receive an address from the mayor of Montgomery, Alabama. But at the last moment, the mayor had to back out. And in her stead came the chief of police for the Montgomery Police Department. 
And the chief of police sat there and he listened to the presentations from Representative Lewis and from other members who were there that night in 1961 about the terror that they experienced. And when it was his time to speak, the chief of police came forward and he made his remarks. And when he finished, it was his time to sit down, but he paused and lingered. And he turned to Representative John Lewis sitting there in the congregation that day. And he said, Representative Lewis, you and your fellow freedom riders were following the law in 1961. You were doing what was right. And we, the Montgomery Police Department, we failed you. We were the ones who broke the law that day. We were the ones who failed to live up to our oath to protect and defend all citizens of our community. And so, Representative Lewis, on behalf of the Montgomery Police Department, I want to apologize to you and ask for your forgiveness. And John Lewis stood up and walked to the front of that sanctuary and embraced Chief Kevin Murphy. And after they hugged and cried a bit, John turned to go back to his seat, and Chief Murphy said, will you stay just one more moment? And he took off his badge from his uniform. And he said, this badge is a symbol of authority. But too often in our history, it has been a symbol of oppression. Today, Representative Lewis, I want you to have my badge as a symbol of reconciliation. Chris Carr finished the story by noting that there was not a dry eye left in that sanctuary on that day in 2013. If God can roll back this stone. Don't you think God can roll back all the others as well? You see, friends, the story of our faith, the story of who we are as disciples, as followers of the risen Christ, our DNA, you might say, Our story is the story of people who have walked through life on the faith and the trust that somehow God will always make a way. Right? John Lewis and those others When they traveled to Montgomery in 1961, I assure you, they did not expect to be greeted with cheers and welcome. But they went anyway. They went on the faith and the trust that somehow God will make a way, that somehow God will use the light of their presence to drive out the darkness That somehow God would use their love to replace hate. 
And then 52 years later, Chief Kevin Murphy, he did not walk across the street to the sanctuary that day expecting that John Lewis or any of the others assembled there would even hear, much less accept, his apology. But still he went on the faith and the trust that somehow God can make a way. If God can push back this stone, then yes, surely God can push back all the others. Surely God can also push back the stones on broken hearts and on frayed friendships. Surely God can push back the stone on broken marriages and bodies riddled with cancer. Surely God can push back the stone, even the stone that sits on the grave. God can push back this stone, then surely God can resurrect all of us. There's that amazing detail laid in the scripture after the man in the tomb says to them, he is risen. He tells those women, go ahead and tell the others and Peter. Isn't that interesting? Y'all remember what happened with Peter right before this story? Peter denies Jesus three times, right? The one in the tomb tells those women, yeah, go, go and tell him too. You see, no one, no one and nothing is outside God's ability to redeem and to resurrect. No one and nothing can stand in the way of God making a way. Who will roll away the stone? They ask that first Easter morning. Those disciples go expecting to find nothing. But what they discover is everything. They go thinking that the story is over. And what they find instead is that the story has, in fact, only just begun. They go to the tomb early that first Easter morning with a question. And they leave with the answer to the only prayer that really matters. Lord, Easter us. Lord, Easter us in joy and strength. Walter Brueggemann finished that prayer in 1994. Easter us in joy and strength. And here, he said, the grateful, thankful, unashamed, hallelujah. Friends, the stone is pushed back. The tomb is empty. Christ is risen. 
Now may the world know it. And lives that are marked by joy and strength. But more than anything, may the world know the good news of this Easter. And lives that shout are thankful, grateful, unashamed. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.